Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 58 in the Old Testament. The last time the message was titled Contrasting Lives and somebody came forward to receive the Lord. It's so cool. We just saw the goodness of God and how people, it doesn't matter at what point of their life they turn to the living God. You know, he accepts them. They trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, you know, it's not a board game of religion. It's just honest to goodness turning to God at any point in your life. And he's already done the heavy lifting. He's already died for your sins. And this morning, the message is titled Religious Hypocrisy. This is, sometimes I like to tackle the subject that some prefer not to tackle, but religious hypocrisy, a lot of times that actually can keep people from turning to God because they're, God's so-called, and I say so-called representative, sets such a bad example. And, you know, people have come to me, I do a lot of debate, I, I talk to people who are agnostic or atheist or hostile towards the faith, and a lot of times you find a root of some type of religious hypocrisy that's kept them from God. And so I make the, I make the, uh, the argument to them, I'm like, so you have this person who's a religious hypocrite, and as we go through the scripture, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, you know, you'll find that a lot of times God says, you don't even know me, I don't know you. And they might not even be going to heaven. They're just relying on this false system. And, you know, it gives them a thrill. It gives them power. And they uh, demean other people. So I'm like, so you, you don't want to go to heaven because of what this person did. Uh, and that p- person might not go to heaven. So you want to be with that person that you can't stand for all of eternity? I said, think about the logic of this. I said, you turn to the living God. Don't worry about what that person or this person or that religion is doing. You just get saved yourself. So it's a, it's a really good thing. Even as a new believer, I went to a good church. And, um, you know, there were times that I was kind of turned off by maybe a handful of people that just, they're just cold. They're like cold as ice, but they pretend or they have a pretentiousness like they're religious or they know God. If we could put up the Venn diagram, for those of you who are teachers, you'll appreciate this. <laughs> so basically, this is kind of how the world is, is set up. Right, it's the world is the big circle, and within the world is the true church. Now, I didn't make this stuff up; I get got this straight from Jesus's teachings. The true church and the tares, which are false believers, right? This religious uh, hypocritical system, and where the two meet is what is known as Christendom. So, within Christendom, is you have your true and you have your false. But the bottom line is. As individuals, be concerned with yourself. And that was what I had to come to at some point in my life where I said, you know what, I just want a relationship with God. I don't care what these people are doing. I don't care how they're acting. It's just me and him. And that's the beautiful thing of God. It's personal and it's intimate with the creator. And for some, it's too good to be true. It's too hard to believe, but it is true. So we're going to look at this in four parts. Uh, Jumping in, Isaiah 58, verse 1. God says through the prophet Isaiah, cry aloud, spare not, or don't hold back. 
Lift up your voice like a trumpet. He's telling the prophet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. Now, this is a pretense, right? As we go further on, contextually, we're going to figure this out. He says, they take delight in in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? So these people, these religious hypocrites are in their heart or they said it overtly against God. We did all these religious rites for you. How come you're not blessing us? Now, here's God's response. It's interesting. He said, in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. You do it for yourself and exploit all your laborers. You're ripping off the people who are working for you. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? So one through five, the first part here is that God's people, right, were being hypocrites. And the first part is what they shouldn't do. Now we're going to, the next part is going to be what they should do. So number one, he says, tell my people their sin like a trumpet. You know, when I was in the world, when I was a young person, (laughs) in my teens and my twenties, I had an impression of God and I knew what I was doing in my lifestyle And I thought that he just couldn't stand me because I just couldn't be good. But you know what's amazing here? God is so offended by, and you see this with Jesus. Jesus hung out with thieves and tax collectors, prostitutes. He tried to bring them into the kingdom of God. His biggest problem was with the corrupt religious system. So I had this this thing, but now when I started to read the Bible, it became very clear to me. God is saying, tell my people their sins like a trumpet. Ah, see, he's a mean God. No, he's not. What is he saying? He's saying there's a portion of my people, or called my people, who are pretending that they represent me, but they're not. And this I have a problem with, because what God doesn't want is a bad example set, so the sinners and the tax collectors and all them are seemingly kept away from the kingdom of heaven. Once you find the truth, you find that it's freeing. It isn't a board game of all these religious Um, things to do and not do. So there's murder, there's stealing, but these things are not um, easily seen, but God sees the heart. So two, he says, you're doing your religious observances, but it's really window dressing. You know, God can see through into our heart. He can, he knows what we think. He knows what our motives were and their motives weren't good. They had pride. They had self-righteousness. You know, I find it odd that, listen, I've been saved over 20 years and I knew the former life that I lived, so I never will get to the point, I hope, maybe somebody will smack me silly if I actually do it, that I become, oh, look at me, you know, you plebeians down there, (laughs) I'm so above you. I never do that. I talk about my own sin. I talk about, I'm in it with you, because I understand the grace that he's shown me, and I want you to receive that same grace. And I've seen some that have come out of the world, and all of a sudden, they act like there was a big eraser on their past life, and they become very sanctimonious, self-righteous, and they, they talk down to people, and I don't understand that. Listen, I know where I came from, right? I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I still sin, and God has forgiven me for my sins. 
But verse 3, they're saying they're having this kind of conversation with God, arguing with God. You know, we did these things for you. We did these rights. How come you're not answering our prayers the way we want you to answer it? And the prosperity gospel does this. You have this formula. You say it a certain way. You repeat it. And God, if you have enough faith, God will give you anything you ask for. That's not reflected in scripture. What are the motives? Why are we doing it? Right? Verses 3 through 5. There was one main prescribed fast, but these people did a lot of different fasts and religious observances. But when they went home, they cheated their employees. The laborers in their field, they abused them. And God's like, well, how can you say that you represent me when this doesn't permeate all of your life? Right? God is a reasoning God. And folks, he wants the religious hypocrites to actually have a true relationship with him. He's saying these things to cut to their heart so that they change. Because they're headed in the wrong direction. Now, listen, we can make the same applications today. You ever meet somebody who says that they're a Christian and they're holy roly in the church, but they own a business and they treat their employees like garbage? That's not right. But by the reverse, in addition, the converse is, what about if we, you know, we raise our hands in church and when we go to work, we cheat our boss, we're lazy, we come in late, we lie about our hours? So this is something, we're not going to be perfect, but we should really do the best that we can. Um, And that's what God is saying here. Your heart is in the wrong place. He also talks about their hypocritical practices of praying and fasting to win arguments, to win lawsuits, to defeat their opponents, right? That's that's crazy. And verse 5, he says, would you call these acceptable fasts? He puts it back on his hypocritical contingent and say, do you really think that this is a fast that I approve of? No, it's not. Your heart's not right. There's no humility. Uh, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 7, 3 through 4, he says the same thing. Jeremiah the prophet comes after Isaiah and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend, change your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place with me, God says. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. And what he was saying was, people do that today. It doesn't matter. It's the temple, the synagogue, the church. It doesn't matter. I go to church. You know, I go to church every Sunday. Great. Is the word transforming us? And again, do we have our bad days? Of course we do. Do we lose our patience? Of course we do. But as a rule, do we try to love other people or we just... It's our own little bubble, and anyone who pops our bubble or bumps into it, we just lose our, 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 you know, lose our temper over these kind of things. Jesus also does the same thing. He, he exposes religious hypocrisy some 700 years later in his day in the first century. If we put up Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus' teachings are so transformative. I mean, a few verses... It just give you chills the way he, you know, discerns these things, discerns humanity, discerns behavior. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, in other words, you're going to your church, right? You're going to your synagogue and you're bringing your, your gift, you know, you're wanting to give God something, right? And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. Don't give it to God yet. Go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Profound. Religious observances, uh, true religion is 
is treating others well, to try to forgive, to try to be at peace with all men, the Bible says. Now, there's a little caveat to this, and and people have come to me in counseling, um, and sometimes you try to make things right, and that other person is just, they have a really hard heart. Yours is soft. Theirs is hard. You're trying to make things, you know, come together and get right, and they don't want to they don't want to reconcile. Okay, well, there's nothing you can do about that. You did your best. Okay, so, you know, we look at this as a whole. Does this permeate our life? We continue. The next few verses, verse 6, it says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? Watch how things change. God says, this is the way you live your life. You think that this is right. But let's, let's look at this. Six, is this not the fast that I have chosen? This is what God wants, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who were cast out when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. You know, James is a great book. We covered it. uh, It's only like five chapters. But if you can get it online for free, just check it out. And he just makes such great points, James. And he talks about, he goes, you know, how, how do we as Christians see hungry people going, oh, be, be, be filled. And to the people who are cold and have not adequate clothes, oh, be clothed. I know it's cold outside. You know, have a nice day. I'll pray for you. But we don't actually do anything to help. I mean, can we help everybody? No. But God will bring people into our lives that we know we can help. We have the ability and we either do it or we don't do it. And, and that's a practice. Again, are we going to do it right every time? Of course not. So verses 6 through 7, the second part is what should God's people do? So the first was what they shouldn't do. This is what they should do, to loose the bonds of wickedness. I mean, in our own lives, we should try to seek justice, at least in our own dealings, interpersonal. Seek justice, be honest, keep our word, um, and whatever we can do, speak out against injustice to be, to undo the heavy burdens. You know, could we help people? Even emotionally, can we be a shoulder to cry on? You know, I've I've heard it said in ministry that people are messy. When you get into ministry, it's messy, right? Um, But so, you know, God doesn't always ask us to do easy things. He just calls us to do the right thing. Can we undo heavy burdens emotionally? Can we listen? Can we be a good listener? He says, let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Every once in a while when I'm, while I'm studying something, I, I kind of get something stuck in my head, and I, I have to believe it's from God because then something else crosses my path, and I say, that just confirms what I was thinking. This stuck with me because I thought in the Roman Empire there was slavery. In the United States there was slavery. There's still slavery exists in other parts of the world, which is a horrible thing. Um, and... You know, it's how do people live like this? But I actually came across an article that said in the History Channel, they found what was called the Slave Bible in the United States. And the, I hate to even use the word, the masters or the owners um, took the Bible and they heavily redacted it. They took out huge portions of the Old Testament about freedom and liberty. They took out half of the New Testament and they gave it to the slaves so that they wouldn't consider freedom. You know, that was sick, and it was wrong. But in an interesting way, it just... And these people, they had to be religious hypocrites. You don't change the Bible. The Bible's very clear. God's Word says that. They'll be judged for that. 
Um, but what it almost does is, what it really does is it proves the point that if you read the whole Bible, it speaks about freedom. It speaks about a personal relationship with God. It speaks about all these good things. And these folks try to hide it and keep it from the slaves. Very sad article. I actually have it in my office. Uh, but it, this is God's word. How do you not read this stuff and be compelled to be an abolitionist back then or to fight for, uh, against injustice? He says, D, to share your bread with the hungry, right? To bring the poor to your house who are cast out, to clothe the naked. Boy, this is all over Matthew 25. In the end, people will be divided, the sheep and the goats, right? Did you ever consider... Um, you know, and Jesus says, if you've given a drink to the thirsty, if you've clothed the naked, if you've, you know, visited the sick, if you fed the hungry, Jesus said, it's like you were doing it for me. That's how personally Jesus takes us working with others. So uh, really great points here. And the last E is he says, do not hide yourself from your own flesh. We're all part of the same human family. You know, Jesus was asked a question in his day. Uh, I think it was... You know, they're always, they were always trying to test Jesus. Is he really the son of God? And his answers were, who could ever have thought of his, the responses? I mean, he had the mind of God. He was God in the flesh. But they were like, well, who's my neighbor? Because some of the religious hypocrites um, wanted to minister to only people of their ethnicity like them. I guess you could say it was a form of racism. There were certain people that it was okay to dislike, to hate, to not help. And Jesus basically told this story the Good Samaritan. And what he showed was, it was a hypothetical story, or maybe it was a real story, but it shows that the folks that were asking him this question, the hated Samaritan, he was actually the guy that helped the, the poor guy who got robbed and beaten. He gave of his own money. He was diverted from where he was going to help this man and bring him to an inn and pay the innkeeper money to take care of him. So what Jesus showed was, and this is, this is in Genesis, we're all from the same human family. And when we understand that, um, everything falls into place. You know, you, you look around this earth, wherever you go in this world, whatever neighborhood you're in, these people are somehow related to you because we're all in the family of God. Evolution teaches that the, the blacks and the whites and the Asians, and they're all fighting for dominance. And you wonder why there's problems in our culture, because that's a predominant teaching. But when you understand what God teaches, you say, well, why would I fight? Why would I hate somebody who I'm related to? Um, I love reading the story about the racist who finds out that in his bloodline he's Jewish or he's part black or something and he forsakes his ways. That happens because you read the scripture and it gives you the truth. You see what I'm saying? And we're supposed to be practicing that so we can set an example to the rest of the world. Good stuff here. Uh, Continuing on, I'm going to read Matthew 23, but only a few verses. It's a long chapter. I want to keep with this theme because... Isaiah 58 keeps with this theme of religious hypocrisy. So Jesus is, you see him showing so much grace to the ignorant, to the the ignorant of God. Even though they're in sin, they don't understand, and he's trying to bring them into the kingdom. The religious leaders he was harsh with. People might read this and go, that was Jesus? Yes, because they were supposed to know the truth, but they twisted God's word to make the idea of God unpalatable because of their false representation of him. So let me read a few verses. And the scribes and the Pharisees were religious leaders. So I'm going to, because you can see this today, I'm going to interject or replace that with religious leaders, right? And you tell me if you've ever experienced this. Well, don't say it out loud, but in your mind, you might think of this, right? 
Verse 3, Jesus says, Whatever they tell you to do, observe and do, but don't do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So most religious leaders know, maybe even memorize the word. Unfortunately, they manipulate it. So if they tell you this is what God says and it's the truth, well, that's what God says. But don't follow their actions because they're hypocrites. They want you to do it, but they won't do it themselves. Verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens, religious burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works, they like to be seen by men. They make their, make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, again, I'm not against clergy that have vestments and robes and all that stuff. But because they have pretty robes and staffs and hats and all this kind of stuff, accoutrements, it doesn't mean that they're holy. It doesn't mean when they leave that place, they're not doing something wicked. So the appearance, I'm wearing a striped shirt today. (laughs) It's not good, it's not bad, it's innocuous. My striped shirt shouldn't be the focus, it should be what I'm teaching. So again, these are Jesus' words, not mine. He says they love the best places at the feasts, uh, the best seats in the synagogues, and you can replace that with the churches. Greetings in the marketplaces, and they be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, or reverend, reverend, or father, father, right? They love the, and again, this isn't all, but... This was the corrupt system of Jesus' day. Continue on to verse 13. He says, But woe to you, religious leaders, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in, you're not going to heaven yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering, your followers, to go in. Woe to you, religious leaders, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you receive greater condemnation. And I've seen this too. The little old lady who's on her deathbed and the the clergy who convinces the little old lady that if you give most of your, um, you know, your estate to the church instead of your kids, um, you'll have a better place in heaven. That's a lie. God's not bought with money. Okay, so that's a it's a false teaching and it's evil. He says, woe to you, religious leaders, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Jesus's words. Jumping down to verse 23, woe to you, religious leaders, hypocrites, for you pay tithe. You take a a portion and give it to God of your little mint and your anise and your cumin plants. And you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. It's almost like an overcompensation because they were horrible with people. They would give God extra. But God was like, no, 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 I don't want you to be horrible with people. It's all common sense. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, religious men, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish. They had all these rites and rituals, and you can see them today. But inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind religious leader, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, meaning their heart, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, religious leaders, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. How many of you have never heard that before? That's pretty, that's, that's a punch. So, you know, when you follow Jesus, Jesus is God. He's going to give you the happy, content, peaceful, joyful stuff. He's also going to give you things that make you think. And he loves us. And when we're going wrong, especially us in clergy, he wants to get our attention. You're going down the wrong path. You're a really bad example to the people who are following you. You need to change. 
It's powerful. His words are powerful. Um, so when you look at any of these, and, and you don't have, you say, Pastor Joe, I don't understand. What does it mean to fast? What is it with the Sabbath you're going to talk about? Basically, it just speaks about the rites that God had ordained had a meaning behind them. They, and the meaning was to get closer to God. And as we got closer to God, of course, we're going to be better with people. And you see that in marriage, in marriage counseling. You know, the two couples, the, the husband and wife, they're fighting and fighting. When you can get them to focus on the Lord and get them closer to God, then they forgive more, uh, they compromise more, and you all of a sudden you see the marriage starting to get better because their focus is different. Their focus is on Christ. It's good stuff here. So there's a purpose for religious rites, not to make yourself look like you're above everybody. That's not the message. Verse 8, going back to Isaiah, he says, Then, if you do these things, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. And you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, how are we with other people? How do we minister to others? The afflicted soul. We live in a culture where people are trying to find the truth. They're not seeing it on TV. They're, they're out at this time of year, and they're, they're struggling. They're, they're emotionally, you know, psychologically, they're, they're struggling. How are we with being a, a comfort to them and hopefully leading them to God? Then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. So he's going to flip everything for good. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. So there's something for you to do for others, but there's also something for you. And I always taught in ministry that when you minister to others, it should be of the overflow of the Holy Spirit, Joe, in your own life. You know, when I'm empty and the tank is down and (laughs) spiritually in this fumes, I need to go to God. I can't help any of you or anybody if I'm not seeking God and I'm not being refreshed by him. So it's a great spilling over principle that we understand as Christians He says, it will strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, a lot of metaphors, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So three uh, out of four is these are the results of doing the right thing. And you can see that it's all positive. God says, just do what I ask you to do. It's healthy for you. It's healthy for our relationship. It's also healthy for your relationship with others. All important concepts. Verse 8, he says, God will lead your life from the front, and he will protect you from behind. There's an expression that we have today, and it's called, I got your back. Now, when I was a police officer, and we would do high-risk warrants and go into places where there were really bad people, um, as an officer... I only got two eyes, and they're in front of my face. I can't see behind me. We would do these formations so that another officer would say, I got your back. Go in. I got your back. I got you covered in case somebody comes down the hallway. So to me, that's personal. But in the scripture, God is saying, I got your back. 
sometimes people go through this world and, I don't know, maybe they're not getting along with people at work, maybe their family, maybe they don't have many means, and maybe their, their social group are kind of cutthroat people, but they still run with that crowd. And they get a sense of paranoia. When you become a Christian, God promises to have your back. Now, it was cool when I had officers protecting me, but I'm going to tell you something. I'll give up any of that for the Lord Jesus Christ protecting me. And you know what? I saw even through that career that he had my back. And there were some situations that could have gone horribly wrong, even near death, and he had my back. Awesome. So that's personal to me. Uh, Verse 9, he says, call, right? You call out, and the Lord will answer. Cry, and the Lord will say, I'm here. This personal and intimate relationship with God. Almost like a, a kid walking down a really dark path with mom or dad. And maybe they're not holding hands. And the kid's frightened by the darkness. And, he, and he, he gets frightened. And the parent says, I'm right here. I'm right here. I see everything. I'm right with you. And sometimes we're like children in a sense. Where we, we go through these dark times. These difficulties. These trials. And we just need to know. God's right there. He didn't leave us. He'll never leave us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, the Bible says. These are the promises. You know what the cool thing is, though? But God gave us free will. You could choose God, or you could run with that pack. It's your, it's your decision. You want to trust them? This is the world. People turn on you for money, for promotion, for whatever. For a better friend, they'll turn on you. God never turns on you. He's always got you. You look at the, all these references to light, right? This, um, we see a lot of water and light metaphors. Uh, God will illuminate our understanding. All the things that the religious hypocrites prayed for and didn't get because their hearts were wrong. God's like, well, this is the way to get it, right? He's, he's showing them the way. So he comes full circle. He wants everybody to repent. He doesn't want anybody to perish, the Bible says. Even the worst person, he wants them to repent. He wants to accept them into his heaven. He's that loving. He's that patient. He's that gracious. So he's saying to them, you guys did it all the wrong way, but let me show you the right way. You do it this way, you'll have my understanding. You'll have wisdom. You'll have my favor. I love you. That'll be evident. You have my guidance. And you'll have that answer prayer that you've been looking for. Right? Verse 11b, your needs will be met. And you will be strong in the midst of difficulties and circumstances. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said to his followers when they were like, well, I want this and I want that. And what should we pray for? And they were like bombarding Jesus with all these questions. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now, in American culture, we have a little bit difficulty trying to understand what our needs list is and our wants list. Sometimes we go to another culture, to one of these countries, and we're like, wow, I have it good. You know, I, I, I need, and there's this long Santa list of the things that we need, but they're really a want list. But God will provide for us. He's not going to spoil us. We're not going to be like spoiled children. But Jesus said these things will be added to you, the needs list, right? God knows which, what we need. 
And then going back to 9, he speaks about, and again, sometimes you, you read the Hebrew to the English, and I, I just go through the Hebrew, and I, I look at some of the, the lexicons and the contextual words and the colloquialisms, but basically the taking away of the pointing the finger in malicious talk or speaking wickedness. And again, God knows. Isn't it amazing? If you've ever experienced religious hypocrisy, just the condescension, you know, don't question us. We're better than you. You're a vile sinner. I have a direct line to God. When you read the scripture, you're like, oh man, I've experienced that. That critical, nasty, even gossipy, right? Uh, I actually, one of the brothers in our church, uh, he's actually home um, taking care of an elderly relative. But I said, can I use your quote? And he said, yeah. Now, not this church. <laughs> but he said, I've been to a lot of churches. And he said, his quote is, Arnie, he said, some of the worst things that have happened to me happened in church. <laughs> so I'm like, I see some head shaking. If you live long enough and you've been around the block, you go to a place and, you know, your heart is open. You're like, oh, God's people. And you, you, you have a bad experience. But don't put that on God because right here in his word, he can't stand that stuff. So he's with you. Jesus is with you. You just heard what I read in Matthew 23. He doesn't like it either. But he's given free will. And people will be judged, good or bad, depending on how they live their lives and if they've trusted Christ for their salvation. Verses 8 through 11, this speaks about personal character. Verses 12 Um, the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets. Now, remember, in context, everybody's going from Babylon back to Jerusalem. So that's the overarching theme. And a lot of these are sub-themes. So you see God saying, okay, I'm going to do a a monumental global movement. And he addresses that. And then he goes, now I'm going to talk about just my people, where they're at. And then he goes, you see the layers that God uses? Then he goes and he deals with, he talks to individuals. I love that about my God. You know, God doesn't wait for, you know, if I go to pray to him, he goes, nah, you, I'm not going to hear you until you're in church with all those other people. When I'm alone, he deals with me when I'm alone. And I love that. It's personal. So you see all these different layers that God addresses, but they're going to be going back to Jerusalem. They're going to be starting over again, which is very exciting. And they're going to be repair men and repair women. They're going to rebuild the foundations. But it also speaks about, um, it also speaks about, you know, in our culture. I mean, unless you live in a bubble, you know that I think in the United States, maybe since, you know, the horrors of slavery and the Civil War, um, we're getting to a point where in our culture, people are at each other's throats. I mean, seriously, people are unfriending others on Facebook because of who they voted for. There's just a lot of stuff going on. Like, people can't listen to another person's point of view. You know, as the church, we do have responsibilities, and one of them is to try to bring people together. So you can see this in a physical sense with the Israelites rebuilding Jerusalem, but it would be a shame if we read the Bible and didn't take anything from here home with us that we could actually start to repair, you know, and, and I see folks with titles like reverend and clergy and they're out on and they're on the news and they're just furthering the breaches. God says to repair the breach. You see these political hacks, they're religious hacks and they, they have some type of vestment and they have some type of religious title and all they do is just cause more division. 
I used to work construction. I did a lot of things. You wonder why I had carpal tunnel surgery. I used to work construction before I was a police officer, and we did a lot of demo, sledgehammers, knocking houses down. Um, and that's easy. It's fun, actually. You can take a lot of stress out swinging a sledgehammer. Try it sometime. So, you know, we did a lot of demo, and it didn't take long to demo a house or demo a wall. But to actually build everything up, to clean up the mess, to build the foundation, to start putting things on brick by brick, that takes a long time. And the spiritual analogy, folks, is anybody can go on TV, anybody could get behind the pulpit and rally everybody up, gin them up, make them angry. But it takes a lot more to try to repair the breaches, especially when two people are so at each other's throats for whatever reason. To bring them together, that takes a lot of work. And as God's people, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can do that work. Again, the Israelites, there was a context, but, you know, again, we, there's things that we can do as well and that we should be doing. So, uh, verse 11, water metaphors. Uh, water in drought, watered garden, spring of water. Now, that was a very hot climate. So when God used these hydration metaphors, listen, I got bottles of water up here. You know, we have running water, plumbing, even water fountains that are cold, which is really nice. Back then, you could get thirsty real fast, and you'd have to find a well or somebody who had something that you could do to hydrate yourself. But he was using this in a spiritual sense. The spiritual hip or the the religious hypocrite misses out. The person who's close to God it's like there's always running water. And again, in that culture, that was pretty miraculous. I'll read you one more scripture, and then we'll do the last section and close. James one twenty seven in the New Testament. A lot of good stuff from James. It's actually under the heading, Faith Obeys the Word. James says this. You want, you want to understand real religion? He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Here you go. So when you're down with, uh, you know, somebody who has nobody else and, you know, and they're very needy or somebody who has emotional issues and you spend that time with them, you show them that, that they're important. And we represent God in a good way. Good stuff in the scripture. Verse 13, last two verses. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken for true contentment and peace for God's people. He's basically saying, when you look at the whole chapter, say no to religious hypocrisy, say no to a critical spirit, say no to talk without action, right? Are we walking the walk or are we just talking? Uh, Say no to formula or religious Christianity just to get stuff, but say yes to the following. God sets up his precepts. He asks us to do things. Well, what's the meaning behind it? If you actually study anything that God asks us to do, it's for our benefit. And it's also to benefit our relationship with him. 
Um, but God is really serious about how we treat others. Um, and that says a lot about who we are if we call ourselves people of God. He says to call his precepts delightful, to worship him, to give him glory, and basically not to always look to do things our own way or find our own pleasure. Stop being selfish. And our culture is very selfish. And there's enough studies uh, that I've read, psychology, about social media and how we become like the king or queen of our own fiefdom. Um, you know, it, there's a lot, every so often, and I don't, I don't look for this stuff, but somebody will send me something. Even the YouTube videos, people like video themselves either singing or whatever they're doing. And there's all these people that watch, and it's, it's actually quite embarrassing. You know, uh, people have become so narcissistic in our culture and you can become the star of your own show at this point. That's what it's breeding and it's feeding. And again, like I said before, social media or Snapchat or whatever your Twitter. Only thing I have is Facebook. I don't even know what the, I don't have time to look at the other stuff, but just uh, people, you know, because they have a difference of opinion. Well, I want everybody, all my friends to, you know, be in my own echo chamber. I want and, and this is what happened. Why are you talking about social media, Pastor Joe? Because it affects who we are. It changes who we are. Then it also affects our spirituality. People can say, oh, I'm so spiritual. You can say anything you want. But is it according to, to God's truth? If we're that deluded, we're that self-censored, we're that narcissistic, most likely we're carrying that into our spiritual life. And this is, this is something our society doesn't want to hear. Certainly, Joel Osteen wouldn't be preaching it because he wouldn't be able to fill 60,000 seats. But the point is that, you know, just like the, the Bible I was telling you about, that twisted version of a redacted Bible, some preachers come up and they, they just skip certain sections because they're like, I'm not teaching this. It doesn't go with my shtick. It doesn't go with my Ponzi scheme. But this is the truth. Sometimes we're going to come in here, we're going to be walking on air. It's going to be, wow, this is great. This is so much fun. This is, I feel so enlightened. And other times we're going to read and go, I wonder if I fall into any of those categories. You know, I get convicted by my own messages. <laughs> but my, that's a weird thing. <laughs> I'm reading through them. Oh, wow, wow, that hurts. Eww, that just got cut. <laughs> the last few things it says here is, to satisfy, and this is what God wants, you end on a positive note, to satisfy your soul in drought, to delight yourself in the Lord. Imagine that, having a relationship with the living God and enjoying it. It's what God wants. To ride on the high hills of the earth, that's what he wants, that's true contentment. Not to take religion and to use it as a battering ram or use it to get what we want or to get power, but to come to God so that we can be a blessing to others, be a blessing to him, and we ourselves get to benefit from that. That's the whole meaning of what we're reading. Jesus didn't come to save us from our sins and then leave us as orphans. Jesus came to save us from our sins and then to enter into a relationship with us, and you see that all throughout the New Testament. So how do we do it right? According to the Bible, seek God truly. You know, desire that relationship with God. Desire to please Him and do it His way, to see what His way is. To lead us into all truth and to have it affect every area of our life. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. 
We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.